He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will be your host once again. I am with the rest of the Munson's. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. James. What's going on, man? Just excited to be here. Miss you guys. Oh, miss you too, James. Oh, that's the only update we needed. That's mm-hmm. cute. Case, what's going on in your world, man? I've circled back around feeling like my... Uh, my movie theme a few weeks ago, of a few podcasts ago, of stuck in the same time is is now. I'm going back to the uh, disaster film theme, and and I've been I've been watching a lot more of those. And uh, and one of these days, I'm going to be excited to talk about Armageddon and cut that up with Warren and see if we can get into some oil drinking. Oil digging. Uh. <laughs> very true to form is what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need documentary, right? <laughs> yeah. One hundred percent. Ben Affleck's already given the DVD commentary. That's all you need on Armageddon. Well, speaking of Warren, this past week uh, for prep and everything, I've uh, been really reluctant to watch a lot of uh, Natasha Leone stuff because I'm trying to finish The Sopranos for the first time, and I have five episodes left, and so I really don't want to be talking about this, and uh, just want to finish, <laughs> just want to finish that show. And uh, <laughs> being, very good show. Being a guy who like I don't really care like. I've seen enough mafia movies and stuff like that, and I'm married to a uh, a very large Italian family. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say that this is this is my favorite TV show. And nice, uh, oh, boy. Wow. There, there's quite a few people who uh, said it would be, and I did not want to believe them, and I didn't want to let them down. But it, it really is. And uh, Janice Soprano sucks ass. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to have you as part of the family now. Thank you. Rigby. Yeah, just the same old, same old. Um, working from home, playing playing golf in my free time. Um, that's kind of a good excuse about being out of New York City and being back in Iowa. You get a little bit more get a little bit more money in the pocket, not having to pay rent on a shitty studio apartment. So I'm enjoying it. Hopefully things will, will change here shortly. I have a I have a good idea about that. A lot of pent up demand for a bunch of middle aged men to be uh, exactly. golf, golfing with their underwear halfway exactly. up their ass. Yep. <laughs> Goofy paints a fat ass as Happy Gilmore says. <laughs> Talk to my neighbor. Huge <laughs> Probably a great golfer. Probably a great golfer. That's I'm excited to uh, formally introduce our first female guest to the Munsons at the movies. Um, yeah, a little some claps in the background there. Yeah, yeah. No, no pressure, Corey. But um, Corey, so we've got Corey Wallace with us. Um, she's still a 12 year old latchkey kid with Beyond Basic Cable in an adult woman's body. Uh, she once. I will tell you, Corey. This is probably the most creative bio that somebody's given us yet. So I appreciate you. Um, she once set her alarm at 3 a.m. to get up and watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Please don't tell her parents. Uh, she only dates guys who watch at least three movies a week and at least it's underlined. So that's important. Uh, it's definitely the minimum. She loves a good deep dive or think piece and is a fan of this podcast. Welcome, Corey. Thank you. I'm psyched to be here. I will say bio is written that way because I'm in the biz. I work in PR and marketing. So 
cheated a little bit. Sweet. Where do you live, Corey? I live in Kansas City. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, Midwest. Midwest is the best. Midwest is the best. For real, for real. Actually, I'm a Kansas girl, so I was born in Lawrence, Kansas, on the University of Kansas campus. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Rock Chalk, for real. Corey's pumped because she seems to know a little bit about the actor we're covering on this episode, so I think it's going to be a good conversation. Birthdays, July 2nd. Warren, what do we got? Uh, We're going to start off with this classic, Lindsay Lohan from Mm. The Parent Trap. Oh, The of Long Island. The Parent Trap, Mean Girls, and Lindsay Lohan's Indian Journey. That's a thing? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) My God. (laughs) All right. 36. Yeah, this is a tough one because she's been – she was in stuff when she was like such a little kid. I'm going to go – Time has not been kind to Lindsay. I'm going to go 35, Warren. I think she's our age. I think she's like 33. I'm going to say 37 then. Has someone said 34? Nope. Nope. 34. And Corey with the back the back door win. 34. <laughs> oh, nice. Died. Wow. <laughs> Proud of you. All right. Next, next up, we got Larry David, Seinfeld, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and The Three Scooges. Problem is he just looks really old. And yeah. He's looked really old forever, so it's hard to tell. It's true. He's he's. I'm gonna say 74. Oh, I was gonna say 74, so I'll say 73. Uh, 66, 68. I'll say 70. 73, Rigby. Oh, oh. that was uh, Kyle. I took that. I've one won away, away both times. Man. Yeah, yeah. Struggle. You just want to think like, how old is Bernie Sanders? He's just a little bit younger. So <laughs> that's how you usually go. <laughs> Last up, we got Margot Robbie, Birds of Prey, I Tanya, and Suicide Squad. <laughs> that's the the poop out of the, out of the that is the wor- that is seriously the worst one of like her entire filmography preview of our R- margot robbie episode i'm gonna go 30 31 warren give me 32 34 same age as Lindsay lohan i'll go 30 the odds are slim but uh the number is 30 wow <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> She's She's 30. 30. that's crazy <laughs> happy birthday to all you people All right, so we had five actors we were looking at uh, for this episode. They were all tossed on the wheel from our super mega list of actors. Those actors were James Spader, Rooney Mara, Ed Harris, Anthony Mackie, and Natasha Lyonne. And uh, as we mentioned in some of our warm-up conversations, if you listened to the Jimon Hansu episode, you'll know that uh, everybody was ecstatic and overwhelming. They were overwhelmed with excitement to cover Natasha Lyonne, and that's who we're hitting this week. By far, Um, favorite track. You know who you are. The wheel um, hath spoken. The wheel hath <laughs> spoken. But we're going to get into some Natasha Leone discussion. And I'll, I'll preface this before we talk about trivia. Fascinating human with a really, really interesting career. I know I'm throwing out a lot of Trumpisms right now. Fascinating. Absolutely Fascinating. incredible. Um, nobody nobody but, does it better. But she's got, <laughs> she's got a career. So uh, I have a feeling James has got some some pieces to work with in the trivia world. Yeah, so James, absolutely, it's all your shoe. Cool. So we're going to do two truths and a lie here. You guys know the game at this point. So I'll get right to it. First fact, grandparents were both Holocaust survivors. Her parents were actually born in Israel and she actually lived there for some time before she started her acting career. Fact number two, she was once evicted from an apartment building that was owned by the actor Michael Rappaport. Fact number three, <laughs> she, she's had open heart surgery. Jeez. 
<laughs> oh, that's an easy one for me. That's an yeah. easy one for me too. The lie is she got evicted because everybody knows Michael Rappaport hates Vin Diesel and he evicted <laughs> Vin Diesel. <laughs> uh, we know the answer. Yeah, I'm I, going to as well. I'm going to go Israel one is a lie because I think that's Gal Jadot. I'm going to go with that oh, too. That's the fourth one the lie. That's very possible. Fact number three is the one no one chose. Fact number three is true. She actually did have open heart surgery. That was in 2012. Uh, that was to correct some damage from heart infection that she had uh, had a few years earlier, which we'll actually end up covering. It's the same surgery one of her characters underwent in Orange is the New Black. Fact number two is, in fact, true. She was once evicted from an apartment building owned by Michael uh, Rappaport. Uh, it happened in 2005. It was the same year she was admitted to Beth Israel Hospital uh, for a collapsed lung and heart infection. Um, and we'll get into that later as well. And fact number one is mostly true, uh, but it's actually a Gal Gadot fact as Rigby covered. So her parents are Orthodox Jewish. She was raised Orthodox Jewish. Um, her grandparents are Holocaust survivors, uh, but she's from Long Island. Uh, she was raised in Great Neck, New York. Um, she only went to Israel for a little bit. And both of her parents uh, grew up here as well. Uh, she ended up living on her own since she was 16. But yeah, Rigby nailed it. Gal Gadot. Good one, James. That was yeah. good. Very cool. I also read that she got kicked out of uh, her school, high school for selling weed, too. So I think I that... Mean, <laughs> you know, if you're raised Orthodox, it's very strict religious. And so selling weed is like, it's like you might as well be thrown in jail. And so getting kicked out of school for that is not a shock. Case. Snapshot. Box office history. What we got? You know, not a ton of data. She, she's she got a lot of movies that they didn't report the budget or, or a lot of the different things. So I thought she would have been a fan favorite. But if you average up the, I think, 15 movies I have in my database, she ranks 12th out of out of the uh, 13 actors we've looked at in fan rankings. Her uh, fan rankings is only 57.8. I thought she would have kind of a a real following, and they really would have been behind a lot of her projects. But... She she ranked lower than I thought. American Pie made twenty times its budget. It was budgeted at eleven million, and it ended up bringing home two hundred and thirty-five. Nice. You total those movies up, they budgeted ninety-one million, and then they ended up making seven hundred and fifty-eight million out of those three movies total. Right? Do you guys want to guess what the average fan rating of those three movies is? My assumption is bad. 80, 85. I think it's high. I think it's in the 70s. The average fan rating of the American Pie trilogy is 64. But yet it still made, you know, $758 million. Well, that explains the 15 million spinoffs of the American Pie universe. That it made a lot of money. Yeah, everyone saw it. Thanks, guys. Before we dig into her filmography and some of her TV show work, it's important to note, she got her start in 1986. So we're talking 35 years of work and over 100 projects. So of all the actors we've covered, and we've covered some pretty major actors, Oscar award-winning actors, uh, she is by far the busiest actor we've covered to this point. So uh, we're going to hit the highs and the lows along the way. And if you're listening and you're hoping for that one shout-out for the movie from 1997 that is that cult classic that you loved and we don't hit it, we apologize in advance. Um, there's just a lot to hit because she's been pretty busy in her 35-year career. But it all got started on Pee-wee's Playhouse. In 1986, <laughs> she was on six episodes as the child actor, played a character named Opal. 
that's where she got started, which is an interesting way to, to break into the biz. Um, but we see seven years later, um, she is in what I would consider a pretty major motion picture, and that's Dennis the Menace. She played a character named Polly. She also makes out with Buzz from Home Alone. That's her boyfriend <laughs> in the movie. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to highlight in that. That is the only other yep. movie that I can tell that Buzz is in. Yeah, I, I saw an interview where she mentioned that was on screen kiss was in Dennis the Menace. He's in Nebraska. He was in Nebraska. In, that's right. Yeah. He's yeah. He's the Nebraska. son. Never saw Nebraska. The the funniest thing that I remember was when Super Troopers came out. A bunch of people. There was a rumor. Someone started a rumor that Farva was Buzz grown up. <laughs> <laughs> Early in her career, not terribly busy. She had two other small parts and some other projects, but 1996 is when she hit it big in her first feature film, and that was Everyone Says I Love You. Uh, and Craig has that one this week. Everyone Says I Love You is a uh, Woody Allen comedy and musical from 1996. I am not much of a musical person. Like James was, has talked about in a couple of the previous episodes, that was just not a movie that 20-year-old Craig really enjoyed watching. And uh, I think 40-year-old Craig enjoyed it a lot more. You know, everything that's gone on with Woody Allen and just the passage of time, you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of easy to forget how big of a heavyweight he was in the industry around this time. I mean, listen to this cast. Nearly every person in this was in their, in their prime. Edward Norton, Drew Barrymore, Alan Alda, Natalie Portman, Goldie Hawn, Julia Roberts. Holy moly. Kind of a, a weird plotline tied to Tim Roth floored me when I was watching this movie because somebody knew would come on the screen and you're like holy cow that's crazy that all these people um, did this movie Natasha Leone was in this she was only 16 or 17 when this movie was filmed the movie didn't do well in the box office um, I think it lost in the neighborhood of 30 million and it was however a, a critical success this is easily one of the most complicated plot structured movies that I have I have seen in a long time. The one plot that that stood out the most to me and it I'm glad it did because it relates most to this podcast is is the one that is most relying on Natasha Leone. She plays a massive role in this movie. I think Woody Allen, Goldie Hawn and maybe Julia Roberts. Well, I think those three have the most screen time and probably Alan Alda. To me, it's, it's Natasha Leone's character who is moving the plot forward and, and is, in my opinion, the most critical role, which is pretty crazy if you think about she's 16 years old at the time when this movie's coming out. So DJ is trying to, get, trying to help her dad find true love. There's all these trials and failures. And so finally, Julia Roberts' character gets introduced to the movie. She's playing a character named Vaughn. And DJ has this inside track on how to feed her dad information to get Julia Roberts' character to fall in love with him. It, was, it wasn't a terrible watch. It, it was good. And I didn't enjoy the musical side of it. Woody Allen did not tell the people that were playing in this movie that it was going to be a musical. It freaked Drew Barrymore out because she told Woody Allen, I can't do this because I don't even sing in the shower. <laughs> Her singing parts are the only ones that are dubbed. Everybody else sang their, their own part. It's not anything I would have sought out if it weren't for this podcast. I thought Leon was great in this movie. You know, like I said, only being 16 or 17 when it was filming, 
and she's trading shots with some heavyweights. I mean, those actors and actresses I talked about, I mean, those guys were at the top of their game. One thing I saw about this movie, because I haven't actually seen this movie, but in doing some research on her, um, a lot, you know, a consistent theme that would pop up is she's got a very dark sense of humor and ever from a young age, because she was living on her own, uh, she was kind of wise beyond her years. And it came to fruition in this movie when she didn't want people coming in and out of her dressing room. Um, and so she put a sign up that said, no one's allowed in the 16-year-old's dressing room. That includes you, Woody. And, dude, everyone's like, are we supposed to laugh at that? And she's like, she's like, yeah, my humor's not really been understood ever since I was a little kid. Damn. She's spot on, though. Yeah, Good dude, she her. took shots at him when she was, like, when she was 16 years old. Yeah, yeah, I've seen this film, and I do like musicals. Um, I think it's interesting that Woody Allen is the only person who, at the stage of these people's careers, could get them to sing. I mean, the thought of Edward Norton singing or you know, Natasha Lyonne singing, they, these people are not singers. Julia Roberts sings in this film. I think it's so interesting to me that she plays the sister of both Drew Barrymore and Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman goes on about the same age. Natalie Portman goes on to have a strong career, goes to Harvard, you know, sails off into winning a ton of awards, getting you know cast in a lot of really choice roles, into a leading lady. And Natasha's career just doesn't go in that direction. It's fascinating to me how that happened. They're both two Jewish women from... New York area. They both are extremely well-versed in sets and performance as young people. And one of them survived and thrived. And one of them had a bumpier path. It's fascinating to me, but I, I only moderately like this movie because I have this theory that most Woody Allen films are like Nancy Myers films, but for dudes and in New York. You've got a lot of wealthy people with no real issues. You know, Drew Barrymore's biggest problem is is she gonna get engaged with the Harry Winston ring? Like it's very fantasy, right? So for me, it's it's just the same as a Nancy Myers film. And it's escapist, you know, humor and it's an escapist male fantasy, which is fine. It's it's all good, but it's not his best work. I certainly like other films better, but she's She's darling in this movie. She's really likable and she's very straightforward in this role and very kind of catty and petty. She speaks mm-hmm. the truth. She's definitely the, the, the truth speaker in the film and kind of takes the air out of her siblings and her parents. Yes. Which I really appreciate. You can tell there's, that's her, you know, that's mm-hmm. very likely her personality. That's that makes it fun to watch. I was going to say, when you were comparing uh, Natalie Portman to Natasha, I, I think it's clear that Portman got the uh, the Jar Jar Banks boost. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's, that's what sets him apart. Normally what we do when we bring on a guest, uh, once we hit the five categories, we give our guests the opportunity to pick a different film from their filmography. And Corey uh, went with Slums of Beverly Hills, which we're not used to having back-to-back reviews, but in this timeline, 96 to 98, there really wasn't any other projects in between. So we're pretty much going right to our next major role. Corey, tell us a little bit about it. The Slums of Beverly Hills was released in the summer of 98, and I was actually really shocked that this was not her first film. Um, When I saw that it was Everyone Says I Love You, I was really surprised because this film have been and probably should have been her breakout role. It was distributed by Fox Searchlight, which might have been 
reason why it didn't break out. It box office did about $5.5 million. The budget was about that. So it really didn't make any money. I remember watching it that year, like in 1998. I was in college. I remember thinking it was smart and interesting. It was directed by Tamara Jenkins and written by her. And it has very much like a female perspective. And the perspective is of Vivian Abramowitz or Viv, as she's sometimes called. This has a stacked cast. It has a great, great cast. Alan Arkin, David Krumholtz, who's just delightful. Um, He sings a version of Luck Be a Lady in this film. (laughs) And it is hysterical. Um, Marissa Tomei plays the role that she's really good at playing, kind of the kooky, kind of aunt-cousin character. Carl Reiner plays their uncle, Mickey. The story of this movie is the story of a family that just can't seem to get their stuff together. Their dad, played by Alan Arkin, is definitely kind of a shyster. He's a salesman who's just always waiting for the next big sale, always going to get them to not having to worry about money or where they're living and is certainly living in a fantasy world. He moves them to Beverly Hills, and this is set in the 70s. So the clothes and kind of the look and feel of this film is very 70s, very retro. You just kind of see this family just mandating their way through bullet hole after bullet hole, trying to keep life on track, as is, you know, I think probably reflected in her life. Vivian, the lead character, her perspective is that of someone who just looks around at all of these trash people who continually disappoint her. She's constantly having to kind of keep her life moving forward. Um, Her brother, um, the guy that she has a crush on, her own body disappoints her. She's developing quickly. Her aunt disappoints her. Her dad disappoints her. It's just one big disappointment show, but it's really entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really love this movie. I think it's a really straightforward like perspective of a young woman growing up. It's clearly directed by a female, written by a woman. I don't know. It's just a cool film. It's a cool little film. It's a tight 91 minutes. This typical like 1990s independent film length. You get in, you get out. It's a really, really nice watch. I really enjoy it. I will say don't watch it with your parents because it's a little raunchy at times. Like there's definitely sexuality in this film. I was shocked to see that she did win a Teen Choice Award for breakout performance. Yeah. Yeah, right? She won some. There were some <laughs> independent awards, which is definitely where this film should live, is in that independent spirit of the 90s. She is really, really funny in this and really, really uh, dry and witty. You definitely feel like it's an authentic portrayal of her experience growing up. What is interesting is for her first two roles, I mean, it sounds like she did a really damn good job of acting, which I think probably set her up for her big movie role as Jessica in uh, American Pie in 1999. I mean, this this role just skyrocketed her career I mean, in terms of just awareness and where she was going from there. I rewatched American Pie just because I was like, well, you know what? This is like a classic, right? And I rewatched it and I was like, there's, there's just so much cringeworthy, unfunny <laughs> parts of this movie. Like, this movie was very much tailored for like a 13-year-old me to find funny. And mm-hmm. like... 
the 32 year old me is like, Oh, that's just inappropriate. That's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. If one of my friends came to me and they were trying to describe what sex was and they were like, Oh dude, just go have sex with a pie. I would have been like, we're no longer friends. I'm telling telling my parents and we're never going to hang out again. And that's, that's really what the movie is. It's really the shock factor. Fortunately, I think Natasha Leone's role in it was just like, we got to find a, a female counterpart to Stifler. Yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah. someone to check them. I bet they had so much other like footage of her. And then they're like, nope, got to keep it. Got to keep it a type 90. I mean, <laughs> kids, kids, kids these days, we got to cut stuff. And unfortunately, her stuff was probably on the on the cutting floor first. I think the point of her was to show that like it wasn't just like boys Guys. that were obsessed yeah. with yeah. sex. Like it was both ways, you know? She was one that was uh, Finch. Finch was Finch was yeah. paying her. Yeah. Finch was paying her to spread the rumors. Yeah, yeah. They definitely portray her as like the experienced one. Stifler right. is the one as who's like the horn dog who can't right. think of anything other than right. having sex. Warren, what you mentioned about the apple pie line, like me and the wifey were watching, and he and that guy said that, and we both were like, ugh. Like it was like yeah. it was like we got punched in the stomach. Like that's just the repulsive thing to say to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> How is that the major plot point of this movie? Yeah, like I think I skipped out on eating like warm desserts for like two years after yeah. that. Ugh, nasty. <laughs> also, nineteen ninety nine, uh, she was in Detroit Rock City as Christine. She, uh, her name in the movie is Christine Sixteen, which is actually the name of a Kiss song. So they wanted to bring her into uh, as a reference, sort of like as a as a meta reference to their songs. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then also in 1999, she was in called Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. Uh, she plays a character that is referred to as White Girl. Uh, did anybody else see this? Am I the only one? I've seen Freeway with Reese Witherspoon, right? Has anybody seen that movie? No. Because, okay, so it's this movie where Reese Witherspoon was going to try to be like a darker character, and she literally plays somebody who's a Red Riding Hood fighting against the yes. big bad wolf. Right, that's played by Kiefer yep. Sutherland. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was kind of like this um, play on a fairy tale. It was dark, and she was this contemporary kind of like e-girl fighting back against this predator. And so I could see why Natasha Leone's team would be all two people that I'm sure you know worked out of a basement, but um, they were like, you know what, this this is a good role for you. This is a darker role. It's, you know, a proven entity. The Reese Witherspoon film didn't do poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this was probably direct to HBO, right? Like, did it actually get released? All I know is that the name itself stuck out like a sore thumb. And I was like, I have to watch this, especially because she's the lead of it. So, like, understanding her background. Because, like you said, it it's a it's a play on the Hansel and Gretel fairy tale. Um, uh- as, and... It, it's crazy like but uh, the other part i noted about this is that um she spends the first part of the movie in prison and a lot of the prison scenes and i think that it's interesting to compare and contrast and to see kind of a precursor to her work in orange is a new black later in her career but you could see how some of those similarities in terms of behaviors were there we're running hot here because early in her career she's in a she's a lead in a ton of projects and uh we we hit the largest audience gap in 1990 so 1990 it was a big year, and it was. Uh, but I'm a cheerleader, and Rigby has taken that one. I enjoy cult movies and whatnot. I had I had heard about this one, but I'd never seen it, so it was I was pretty excited to watch. But I'm a cheerleader is a 1999 satirical sort of dark comedy movie, much in the echoes of John Waters. If you've ever seen 
yep. any John Waters movies. Not so much hairspray, but more like the pink flamingo sort of eye popping color. A lot of just like campiness to go around the whole movie. Natasha Leone plays a, a character named Megan. You know, she's a cheerleader. She's a senior in high school. She's supposed to come from this wholesome family, but immediately, ten minutes into the movie, her parents, because of her obsession with uh, Melissa Etheridge, and uh, and her, uh, <laughs> there's a scene where she's making out with her boyfriend, and you see what she's imagining in her head, and she's thinking about her fellow cheerleader. So it's, it's assuming that she's a lesbian. Her parents assume that she's a lesbian. They they plan this intervention where a a counselor comes, played by RuPaul, who I'm, I wasn't used to seeing RuPaul um, not in drag. So that was that was interesting. And they send her to True Directions, which is a rehabilitation camp, or a, a better term, uh, a gay conversion therapy camp. I wanted to like this movie. I really did. Looking back on it, a lot of critics have had sort of second thoughts about it because they thought it was so campy when they first saw it. And I think the campiness has sort of gone away over time. You know, they, they sort of see it and now as like intentional. I probably need to watch it again to feel that same way because it was so campy that I couldn't really get over it. But basically, the, the the plot of the movie is Megan, played by Natasha Leone. She goes to this camp. She meets another camper, uh, played by Clea Duvall, whose name is Graham, and they fall in love. And basically, it's a short movie. It's 81 minutes. The counselor of the camp is played by Kathy Moriarty, if you've ever seen... Cynic, or uh, Kerrigan from Casper. Yeah, if you've ever seen Raging Bull, too. She's, yep. she's the love interest in Raging Bull. She was great. The two best characters in the movie, I think, are Natasha Leone. And Kathy Moriarty. And then the chemistry between Natasha Leone and Clea Duvall was awesome. But I just really didn't like the movie. It was so campy. I tried to give it a shot and 10 minutes in. I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in the right mindset for this. If I was a huge John Waters fan and I saw this movie for the first time, I'd be like so offended. I would sue it for copyright infringement. Because it's such a it's such an homage to Waters that they mm-hmm. need to give him like a screenwriting credit almost. <laughs> Natasha Leone, you know, her and Clea Duvall, um, a few days ago, I was actually lucky to track an article that they gave. They gave an interview to the Criterion Channel where they can't seem to say enough good things about being in this movie. The movie was made in 99, but it wasn't released nationally until 2000. So this is technically the 20th anniversary of the movie. They sing its praises still to this day. And there's something to be said about that. I mean, this was, she, she had been in American Pie. She'd been in, in Slums of Beverly Hills, obviously the Woody Allen movie. But this was like her first role where she was like the star and she she does a great job in it i'm not taking her performance um into effect of why i didn't really like the movie kip pardue who kip played pardue, yeah. sunshine and remember the titans this was his first movie and yeah. then you had the guy who played rufio and hook and they were love interests and i just i was like my 90s coming together at one time for me i was like yep. oh sunshine oh okay well this is interesting i know that um natasha and clay Duvall like became like really good friends after this. And they've actually done a couple of like roles together since then, but I've never actually seen this movie. They're still good friends. And that I will give this movie credit because it is so in your face with the LGBTQ ideology. And back then, I mean, 99, yeah. you know, obviously it was, it's pretty rebel. And it was, it was not in the mainstream at all. Like it is now. And I think there's something to be said about that. It took a shot. Um, Absolutely. And, and both of them have been kind of like icons in that they've portrayed those roles throughout their entire careers. Right. Talked about this movie, you see Clea Duvall and Melanie Linsky, who Melanie Linsky, yeah, yep, can hear her accent, which is very rare for her. Typically, mm-hmm. she makes her accent go away. But anyway, you see them again with Natasha Leone in the intervention in later, like mm-hmm. way later. 
when they have when they all have some more money and some more time to do a film together. And that's directed by Cleo Duvall. Did you say that, or did I miss that? That's yep. right. That's correct. Yep. I think what's so interesting about this movie that I think is adds to for me to the cringe factor of this film, and I probably don't enjoy it as much as that LGBTQ teens are portrayed now is absolutely not like this at yep. all. And there's almost so many tropes and stereotypes in this film. I understand why they had to start from there. I mean, it was 1999. Like, I get it. Um, we simply didn't talk about gay teenagers or teenagers in the LGBTQ community l- like we did then. It's very campy for, for me for that reason. John Waters did the same thing with gay people. Like, very, very campy, very... Like tons of usage of tropes and stereotypes. Uh-huh. This was this seemed over the top at some parts, though. If they were to remake this movie today, it would be darker. It would yeah. not. They would not pull off camp because this is no longer considered culturally funny. Right. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah. right. That kind of for me, like, eh, I, I get it. I get how it was a, a seminal film. I think it, it didn't age well. That's a great point. I mentioned how there's something to be said about them taking the risk of of doing a movie like this in 99 interesting fact about it is it was originally rated NC 17 and the director had to cut a lot to make it R and she, to this day, it sounds like Jamie Babbitt has like a, a bone to pick with the rating um, commission because <laughs> in this criterion channel article with Natasha Leone and Clea Duvall, they're like nothing that they cut was extremely salacious. It was purely just, there was like a lesbian scene that, that she had to cut. And that today, obviously, would not make it an NC-17 rating, but back then it did. And so to this day, she, she has an issue with it. I don't know that it would even be R today. No, mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't. It probably wouldn't. After 99, this is when her career takes some, some ups and downs. We, we see some, some valleys and some cliffs. That In 99, she's in a movie called The Auteur Theory. You start to see her being able to channel anger uh, she plays a young documentary filmmaker, and it's it's essentially like the documentary filmmaker is documenting a murder situation with this competition. And she plays like the high school documentary filmmaker who is potentially framed to be a murderer. But you start to see some really interesting, um, maybe just a different approach than you see in some of those earlier roles. 2001, she's in Scary Movie 2. If you don't remember her role in Scary Movie 2, at the, in the first scene with James Wood, she plays Megan the Possessed. Uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> where, uh, what's his face? His mom is under the cover. Yep. Andy oh, Richter. <laughs> Andy Richter's mom. Just so you're aware. Yeah, she, that, that's her role in Scary Movie 2. Not much more to say after that. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I found that, I was like, oh, man. That's hilarious. I had no idea that was Natasha Leone. But 2001, she's in the sequel to American Pie, American Pie 2. Also, she was in Kate, Kate and Leopold in 01. What I remember from Kate and Leopold was Ebert and Roper during their review and my, again, at that time, eighth grade brain watching their review. They were giving a review and then they paused and they were like, also, I think we found a storyline like a plot issue <laughs> where based on the timeline and the time travel that takes place in this, Meg Ryan's committing incest. Miramax like came out and was like, ha ha ha, just kidding. And they removed that plot line because Ebert and Roper were correct. The timeline did make it incest because of the time travel. And that's all I know about that movie. I've never seen it. <laughs> it's, it's basically a precursor to Enchanted in a lot of ways. Similar premise. It departs in a lot of ways, but similar enough. 2002, she's in Zigzag. 
And then 03, she's in Party Monster, among many cameos. That's where Macaulay Culkin does a lot of drugs, right? There's a lot of neon, <laughs> a lot of drugs. That was 99 to 09, straight up. I think it was a precursor. Considering it was 2003, and given where we're going to go with her career, this mm-hmm. was probably not a lot of acting at the time. It was just yeah. a lot of, like, go to the set and just do what you normally do. Leon's character was so small because there were so many different cameos in that one. But she was in uh, Die, Mommy, Die in 2003 as Edith. And I believe, Corey, you said you've seen this. Yeah, that's a hysterical movie with Jason Priestley. Very campy, very, like, art house. Very, I don't even know who the lead is. He's a man in drag who plays the kind of Joan Crawford character. She plays the kind of problematic daughter who's trying to kill off her mom. It's a very campy film, very John Waters. It's something you'd watch, like, with some like illegal substances to help your experience <laughs> you need a yeah, you need yeah. a spirit guide is that what you're saying yeah <laughs> very funny film it's a cult classic and i think that's a good point she's in a lot of cult classic films oh four she's in blade trinity which is widely considered a terrible movie but if you like ryan reynolds you know he's pretty funny in that one at least i think he is but she plays Summerfield, who is like the blind mother who's part of their little gang of vampire hunters, I guess. Yeah, it's just ridiculous to think that this is like technically a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. Technically. <laughs> so that that, that kind of blows. But uh, yeah, Reynolds going in from uh, <laughs> to Marvel to DC back to Marvel. So he's all over the place. The first two Blade films got pretty decent reviews, but this one just went down the shitter. And then 2005, she does some voice work in, in the movie Robots. And then, then we hit a bump in the road for her life. So at this point in time, and you all can chime in on this one if you feel like I don't capture this correctly, but had some challenges with heroin. She got hep C. She had a collapsed lung. Some serious health issues premeditated by a lot of drug use. She actually got evicted from that apartment by Michael Rappaport. And when I looked into like the story behind that, it was at this time, it was in 2005 and he showed up not because of any other reason than like the other people in the apartment building were complaining of like the noises that were coming out of there. And he's like, when he pretty much said when he went there, that it was like a crack den and uh, she, she really needed help. And he, and she ended up having to go to the hospital and uh, she had a pretty serious heroin addiction. She had to go to rehab for it. Did she go to jail? Was arrested. Yeah, she was arrested, and it's pretty funny going back to like her dark sense of humor. When you look at like the uh, charges that are against her, one of them was the threatened of uh, molestation of a dog. <laughs> and when she like tried to explain huh? it, she's like, "My neighbor was you know calling the police on me, and as a joke, I told him I was going to like molest his dog, and he put that in the charges." He's like. Clearly, my humor is not for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I know she was arrested for a DUI, careless driving, leaving the scene of an accident. Was it at this time or was it later? They were all around, like between like 2001 to like 2007. Michael Rappaport wrote an article that I remember reading when I was in my 20s in this old magazine that none of you will probably have heard of called Sassy Magazine. (laughs) Nope. Feminist. It's like what all feminists, like young feminists, would read in the 90s and early 2000s. He wrote a It Happened to Me style article where he describes what he walked into, into her, into the apartment he was renting to her. I remember being so disturbed by it. I mean, she had basically made the whole entire apartment totally inhabitable. Like, mm-hmm. 
It was completely trashed, completely ruined. The sad part is, to me, is not just she ruined Michael Rappaport's apartment. She took tuition money. She dropped out of NYU Tisch School, which is really hard to get into, arguably one of the best drama schools in the country. She took her tuition money and she got a gorgeous apartment on Gramercy Park. But Gramercy Park, like there is no way that any mere mortal would ever get an apartment there. And she bought an apartment at like age 18 or something crazy. She financed this apartment and she got evicted from that apartment. She defaulted on her mortgage, got kicked out. And that's why she ended up living in Michael Rappaport's property. She was in the thick of some serious, serious addiction. Yeah, Yeah, that's terrible. She got caught up in it. That's for sure. So this would explain she's got a big gap in projects between 05 and 09. Um, She's getting her life together at that point in time. And it's not until 09 that she jumps back in the game and it ends up being her highest critic score. And it's the Immaculate Conception of Little Dizzle, which is another just champ of a, of a movie title. She's got them combed all over her filmography. Warren's going to talk about this uh, indie one. There are nine critic scores on this. And it received, <laughs> an eight, it received an 89, which is ridiculous. And then there are 400, <laughs> 473 audience scores, which gave it a 71, which is ridiculous. This movie, like honestly, when it starts, it's uh, you can tell it's like one of those more a more indie film, and the opening song is like a little catchy. You don't know who the artist is. You're like, oh, maybe I'll get a new uh, new favorite band out of this. And the whole thing is this like montage of this bottle going through the ocean. It's got this message in it, and it it happens for so long. It was like three minutes while like the opening credits were going, and I was like, yep. "Oh my gosh, just show me what's in the bottle!" <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, "Man, man, this is pretty deep. Like, this guy knows what's going on." Doesn't it say? What does it say? Then it gets to this guy, and he's he's reading a Bible on like this jetty, and he sees it there, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, a, b- a bottle with a message in it!" Like Sting was right, and so he goes up and he like grabs the bottle and opens it up. And like the music kind of like crescendos and he unrolls the piece of paper and it just says, fuck you. Fuck on you. It. <laughs> I laughed so hard because I was like, oh, what, what a, just like a, an exclamation point on this thing. Like I was so excited for, for it to be like this profound thing. And then all of a sudden it's just fuck you. And so I was like, this movie's going to rock. There wasn't a single funny thing that, well, there was one other funny part that happened. The rest of this movie is absolute dog shit. It's like a big acid trip for a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it is just like, oh, let me do this edgy like camera work. And it looks like a movie that like some guys, some amateur guys put together in like the late 90s and not like 2009. And it has a lot of like ridiculous shots at religion. It did, yeah, it's heavy on that. It was un- unnecessary. So that was kind of a turnoff. It was just like you were just blasting religion for no reason. It was just like, I'm going to keep taking these shots at it. So Natasha Leon plays, uh, she works for this, basically a pharmaceutical testing company. And they're testing this batch of cookies that they make that has this thermo like chemical in it. So when you bite into a cookie, it creates an exothermic reaction. So it tastes like it's oven baked every single time. And I was like, wow, that's genius. But anything that can do that can't be good for you. <laughs> sure enough, these things aren't good for people. And it turns out to create 
guys who ingest them, which are three guys who are janitors, they eat them and they get addicted to them. And then they start having like hallucinations and addiction. They like crave salt and fever dreams and stomach issues and all this stuff. And then they give birth to like fishes. They like crap out <laughs> blue fishes. <laughs> Dude, it's so wild, man. <laughs> it sounds like a Saturday night for me. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> it, it's it really is just it's a ridiculously terrible movie. I'm really upset that I ended up watching the whole thing. I'm upset that I was like holding my son while I watched a lot of the movie. <laughs> and I was reading like the nine reviews because it was super easy to go through all of the fresh reviews. And they use the word, like Rigby, you threw this out there. When people throw out the word ambitious, it usually means like you gave it your best shot. Like nice, <laughs> nice try. You know, sorry, honey, you, you just missed. These people were throwing it out and being sincere. I, I just, I didn't get it at all. It was, it was garbage and nothing about it was entertaining. And so uh, it sucks. And uh, unfortunately that being her highest rated movie, uh, I wish I'd watched something else, but the immaculation, the immaculate conception, a little dizzle, Go to hell. <laughs> That's what people pay for. I did watch it, and I remember sending the text. I said, Warren, I'm going to be very interested in your uh, review of this movie, because it's uh, it's something. Yeah, it's a stinker. It's a bomberoo. Between 2009 and 2016, she's pretty busy. She's in a lot of different projects. So first and foremost, Outrage, Born in Terror. Michael Madsen's the big name in this one. Uh, I only mentioned this one from 2009, because she dies in a really hilarious way. They're running from this group of rednecks led by michael madsen and she gets shot with a sniper rifle bullet and she's holding one of the guys and there's a chopper right next to them or it's it's like one of those prop planes with the two uh prop Propel uh, engines, propellers. propellers right yeah. in front and she literally holds this guy what and because she knows she's gonna die because of the bullet uh literally like leans into the propeller with this guy in her arms because she knows awesome. she's gonna die i was like all right this is a good payoff to get through three fourths of this movie and watch her sacrifice herself like that. That's, so that's a pretty badass way to go. It's just like total like C or B horror death, yep. and I appreciated it. So that's outrage born in terror. 2011, she's in four forty four last day on earth. American Reunion 2011. So the the trilogy of American Pie films was hit right there. And that was number. That was number four. That was was four, it number yeah. four? Yeah, because yeah. American, American, American Wedding, Wedding was three. Oh, you're right. My apologies. Right. You're right. The American Reunion, I felt tied up a lot of the loose ends from that, from oh, that yeah. series. In, so. the, in the American universe, it was great. Yeah. Yep. Listen, you invest in those. Uh, Girl Most Likely, 2012. She played Allison. GBF, 2013. Gay Best Friend. He's a teacher. Tiny role. Teacher who likes cats. And then, I mean... Home run hit time. Uh, Orange is the New Black played her the character Nikki for six six years, 2013 to 2019. And I, what I would say is just really took her career to the next level after all the personal issues she had in the mid-2000s. I agree. Um, she's an interesting character. She's in prison, drug dealing and drug addiction. And the character starts off kind of as like just a womanizer in prison. And Natasha was able to kind of make it more personal to her own experience. And so like in the Later seasons, the character has a lot more is is a lot more in depth and is uh, more personal. Her experiences, personally, like for example, I remember the story where they show her 
her chest scar, you know, yep. she that's her chest scar. And it, so, yeah, and that's her actual real life experience. That's a show I watched probably the first four seasons of, um, really enjoyed it. And her character is one of those consistent characters throughout. Clutter, 2013, she played a character named Lisa. Also 2013, she's in 7E. The only reason I mention this is she's literally in one scene. And it's her job is to help sell the movie. None of you have probably heard of it, so I don't think they sold it very much. But uh, so I read a review, and the review was hilarious. They're like, did Natasha Leone just wander onto scent one day? And they're like, oh, you could be a bartender. That's, that's the extent of, of her role in that one. And then between 2015 and 2016, she's in movies like Sleeping With Other People, Hello, My Name is Doris, Addicted to Fresno, and Yoga Hoser. I should have watched Hello, My Name is Doris. That was her next like highest rated one. It's a good one. I saw it a few years back. I enjoyed it. Addicted to Fresno. She was great with Judy Greer. Yeah, I I, I watched that and I was surprised at the um, I was surprised at the ratings. I would have rated that movie a lot higher than than the uh, fans did. I, I enjoyed that movie. And hearing us talk about her issue with you know chemical abuse and, and other things like that, I thought it was a, a good movie to kind of bring some of those issues to the surface. I wholeheartedly agree. I watched it, little indie project, but Judy Greer is really good in that film, and Natasha Leone compliments her uh, pretty well. That brings us to Largest Critic Gap, 2016 Anti-Burg. And so I'm covering this one. Largest Critic Gap on IMDb, it's a 56 and a 4.9, so slightly higher from the critic side. But on Rotten Tomatoes, we're looking at a 70-33. The score is doubled from the critic side to the audience side. That frames it up pretty nicely. The project itself. I would call it an experimental horror film, which was produced by Natasha Leone. There's five producers, but she was one of them. And once you know the subject matter of the movie, it makes sense that she was a producer on the project. It's uh, written and directed by Danny Perez. He has no other major productions to note based on some of his smaller stuff. He's a pretty experimental director type. Uh, it's a really unsettling movie to watch. Um, the visuals are pretty striking. At times, I had to like turn away. It's a uh, it's placed in michigan and the only reason i know that is because the set designer screwed up the license plate so you know how some states you can you have to have license plate on the front and back of your cars michigan is one of those states where you only require the back of the car and they have michigan plates on the front and the back of all the cars that is an amazing trivia question by the way i didn't Mm -hmm. know that that's like 19 states where it's just on the back i I had to look that up because i was like did things change since then given I'm from Michigan. They never say where at in Michigan, but it's somewhere in probably Southeast Michigan. Leon plays a character named Lou, who's a junkie who wakes up from a party with a strange illness. So again, you can see why she produced this project, given her background. Her and her friends, played by Chloe Savigny, who is a close friend of hers who helped her get back into the Hollywood game, vouched for her sobriety. Um, they suspect that she might be pregnant. The, the movie gives you like these weird flashbacks at the party, some you know odd things are going on with the lighting, so you're not really sure what happens. They try to keep you guessing on that front. At times, the CGI is appallingly bad, but again, it's a small project, not much money involved, so they did the best what they could. Uh, but the music's like crazy bizarre, and it fits the concept pretty well. Throughout the film, Lou, played by Leon, she feels increasingly worse. She gets more sick. At one point, her skin starts peeling off in chunks, not like old member style but like blood with it you know what i'm talking about and she like literally i think a tooth falls out at one point uh, it becomes apparent that people are taking these experimental pregnancy hormones and they don't do it willingly they basically 
to this drug dealer. He gives them these junky women, and this guy that you learn about later is giving them this weird pregnancy hormone. And it turns out, it turns them into like, basically it's called anti-birth because she births some like weird creature. First it's its head, and the second thing it's in his entire body. And as she passes the body, she literally shrivels up and dies. Spoiler alert. Um, Oh, you ruined it. I know. (laughs) I don't anticipate anybody's going to be mad at me. Spoiled anti-birth for them. Um, If they are, come talk to my publicist. I will say this. Leon is very comfortable with Savigny as one of her, her like best friend. They have great chemistry as co-stars. Without Leon as the lead junkie role, this movie would have sucked. It was decent. I, I wouldn't give it the 70 side. I wouldn't give it the 33. I'd probably be 55 to 60. The experimental side of it kept me engaged because the story was pretty bizarre, but it was the way they filmed it was interesting enough. But she sells the junkie role. I mean, hook, line, and sinker. And that's what mm-hmm. it takes to make the movie work. Uh, she's got lots of quips and one-liners, right? That's what you would expect from her at this point in her career, 2016. I would guess most fans who gave it a 33 or 40, they don't like the project, but I bet if you asked them, what do you think of Natasha Leone? That's probably the reason they watched it in the first place because she's kind of the catch on that mm-hmm. front. So that's anti-birth. Will you ever watch it again? <sighs> with people. I would watch it with like a group of people. And those people would probably hate you. (laughs) (laughs) If we were drinking, uh, maybe not. I think it it provides enough comment. And if you like Natasha Leone, maybe. 2016 to 2018. So we're kind of reaching the end of her filmography, at least to modern day. She's in The Intervention as Sarah in 2016. I enjoyed uh, Intervention. That was directed by Clay Duvall. It was... Not at all what I expected. I, I You hear intervention, and based on what we've talked about, Natasha Leone, I thought it was going to be about drugs. And it's more so about a uh, family members and their significant others doing an intervention with uh, one of the siblings who has a bad relationship, and they're trying to like intervene in that way. Mm-hmm. I actually thought it was enjoyable. I liked it. Charming and sweet, and got some funny parts, and I think it does well with uh, the cast that's there. Jack Goes Home 2016. To round out 2017 to 2018, uh, I think following the uh, success of Orange is the New Black on the Netflix platform, she's in three Netflix movies. Handsome, a Netflix mystery movie. She plays a detective. Girlfriend's Day 2017, which you haven't gotten a chance to check out. Highly recommend. Bob Odenkirk is fantastic in that. And A Futile and Stupid Gesture. And that brings us to Show Dogs. 2018, the lowest critic score. James, I am dearly, dearly sorry you had to watch this and review it for the <laughs> podcast. Because I watched it and it hurt my soul. So I'll give you the, the plot for this. It's you know one of those classic movies where humans and talking animals exist, but the animals and the humans can't communicate. Animals can only communicate to other animals. The main character is a Rottweiler a police dog named Max, who's voiced by Fast and the Furious star Ludacris. I know. So Max needs to go undercover as a uh, show dog in a uh, prestigious dog show with his human partner, who's played by Will Arnett, to stop you know animal smuggling scheme that is using this dog show as a front. I know it sounds riveting to this point. Natasha plays a dog groomer named Maddie, who is working to support the undercover operation. The movie itself is made like not for children, but like a very specific age group, like old enough to know that a dog is speaking, but not old enough to know that what the dog is saying isn't funny. So like 
you need to be like five to seven to find this movie enjoyable because you're like, oh, that's a dog talking. That's funny. And like, other than that, there are no funny scenes. There was one scene that made me laugh and it's in the beginning and Will Arnett is <laughs> interrogating someone and the do- and Ludacris is behind the glass, the dog, and Will Arnett's interrogating the guy and he does both the good cop and the bad cop routine. <laughs> and the guy he's interrogating is like, what are you, like the Lego guy who could spin his head and play both sides? And Will Arnett does the Lego Batman voice and he goes, what if I am? And I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny. And, and then the dog looks in the camera and goes, this is ludicrous. And I was like, oh. I, got, I, was like, I was like, that was so on the nose. It got me twice. So I'll give him credit where it's due. But, but after that, no jokes the entire time that made me laugh. And then there's this one scene where I'm like sitting there. And again, this is for like five to seven year old. That caught my eye because they make like a molestation joke. And it's when this dog is getting waxed for the dog show. And Ludacris is like, I don't want anyone to touch my genitals. And Stanley Tucci has like a Shih Tzu, like coaches him through how to mentally prepare for someone touching his genitals. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, where did this come from? And it's just like moved on. And I was like, all right, well, that was weird. And so I look up show dogs afterwards. I was like, so how'd the world feel about this? And it's just article after article about that ball touching scene and how it's wildly inappropriate and the writer of the movie was like hey like i didn't write that scene like i wrote my screenplay and like it got touched up 13 different writers put on here like i didn't write the ball touching scene and it got like you know they were talking about getting sued and they had to remove theaters but it's so it wasn't on the theatrical release and it is 100 percent online when you uh like when you stream it and you, it just comes out of nowhere you're like when the fuck like this is for the smallest children and they put that scene in there other than that complete waste of time no laughs are had it's just super corny what can i say about natasha leone she she looks like really friendly with dogs like she's not asked to do anything no one really here is asked to do anything it would have been so great if they had like pandered to like the five to seven year olds and then like anybody who liked miss congeniality that's that's like the only <laughs> movie that you, can, you can compare it to right exactly so they're trying to do like this dog show and it's like oh this is gonna be funny but like there's no jokes all the jokes are like look that's a famous person voicing a dog isn't it funny that Shaq's a dog and you're like not really like look rupaul is a dog and the dog's dressed like interestingly isn't that funny i'm like no little kid knows that joke and it's not funny. Like, none of this is working at all. The director apparently has, like, a niche. So he did, like, Scooby-Doo in 2002, Scooby-Doo 2, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, The Smurfs, The Smurfs 2. Got it. <laughs> but he also, no, this one, he did Never Been Kissed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, he wanted to break out of his little, you know, try something yeah. different. Crazy. Oh my lord yeah i'm sorry james that that was that one was brutal man i did lots of other things while that was going on in the background this is ludicrous dude killed me I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's very self-aware rottweiler james yeah so rounding out her film and tv work uh 2018 2020 uh 2019 brings us russian doll and her character is nadia which she received a few how many emmy nominations did she get for that show she personally got three the show itself got 13 mm-hmm so Russian Doll, I watched this the moment we found out that she was going to be uh, who we were discussing on the podcast. And Rigby had already kind of sang its praises. It is interesting in that it starts off 
the show is funny and quirky and dark humor, but like sci-fi-ish, and that she dies multiple times every episode. And when she dies, it's very similar to like Edge of Tomorrow, Groundhog's Day, where the day starts over again, and she's got to try to figure out why this is happening. And it's her birthday, too, and it's, it's, it's at her party. And so it starts off as like dark humor that's funny, and she's like, well, how can I just live longer? And she dies in like random ways, like... She, you know, makes it through this one scene where she dies and then she goes, the next time it replays, she's like, all right, so avoids that. And she like trips and falls over a cat and dies. And she's like, fuck, you got to watch out for the cat next time. Like all this random things that are funny. And then about halfway through the series, it takes a very quick turn and there's like Mm -hmm. a catalyst that makes it from dark, funny to really introspective, really soul searching like a super in-depth, like kind of personal, vulnerable, like analysis of her, you could tell of her own personal life. Huh. And that is where it got me hooked. And so I went from being yeah. like, oh, this is kind of funny to being like, I got to find out. The- I think it's an ingenious show. I really do. Mm-hmm. When, and she wrote and directed it, right? Yeah. Writer, director, and producer. With- Amy Poehler is a, um, is an executive, there's a writer and I think an executive producer on it. Nice. So yeah, it's a good show. If you, um, I guarantee if you watch it, you'll binge it in weekend it just has that it just has that quality the idea of her getting so much love from from emmy nominations you know she's come a long way in her career and to get to this place where she had such a personal stake in it uh not just acting but writing directing all these different pieces and to you know see that see her life turn into something successful that people can admire i think it's it's funny too because if i could picture her being like this is the role i want to play like that was that would be it like a chain smoking (laughs) like vulgar just like bad attitude that's the role that i think she would probably want to play the most because that's her i I listened to an interview and she said an inspiration for the show was because she thinks about death almost daily it's Mm -hmm. a big it's a thing that constantly happens to her it's a great show it it truly is and then to round it out um she was in three pretty i'm I'm gonna say decently big movies over the past two years really just 2019 in honey boy at astra in uncut gems what is she in uncut gems do i know that she plays boston <laughs> player personnel it's like a voice role apparently but oh. my my point is honey boy leaped out of the indie circuit and became a pretty prominent film in theaters and had a lot of consideration for award season she was in these three movies at astra included but just had really small roles in them so nothing mm-hmm. nothing big but attaching herself to some some successful uh, projects at least we didn't hit on a lot of her tv work but just otherwise she's had a lot of smaller spots she was in an episode of new girl and law and order i, I think Corey mentioned earlier new girl uh, she was in a couple of episodes of weeds um, she was various characters in portlandia over three to four year period she's married to fred Armisen, so that makes sense she was in simpsons she was in the show steven universe uh, three episodes of big mouth and most recently in ball masters 9009 I absolutely love Big Mouth. And so I was like, which character is she in Big Mouth? And for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a hysterical cartoon uh, by Nick Kroll on Netflix. And it's all about uh, kids going through puberty. And so it's like they have like a hormone monster that follows them around and talks to them about them going through puberty. Uh And one of the characters, his name is Jay, and he's like the horniest ninth grader on Earth. And Jason Manzoukas. So that's uh, Rafi. (laughs) And he he just bangs like inanimate objects, 
and uh, Natasha Leone is it's his pillow. It's his pillow. Who oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah. he ends up having like a pillow baby with, and they have like a tumultuous relationship and shit. Um, it sounds like she probably had a good time filming that Dude, one. Dude, it's such so, a funny show. Doing that, doing that voice work. <laughs> yeah, she's done. She's done some voice work in some different cartoons, which is really cool. That brings us to the end of. 35 years i mean it's a lot and we didn't even touch on a number of them but we'll toss it to rigby because he's going to hit us with some top performances and maybe one or two of them are ones we didn't mention this list that i found is from den of geek 2019 (laughs) the den of geek is what they call my library at home Um, this is what they refer to her six most underappreciated roles oh i like that oh this was before russian doll so it doesn't include russian doll it was actually a right it was an article like while Russian Doll was being released. Like, here are here are six okay. other rules that you should check out. So, 2009 or yep. 2019. Got it. 2019. And it includes television. So, I Ooh, think that's a hint that... I think that's a hint that Orange is the New Black is in. So, if you can guess the six roles that they refer to as underappreciated in the Natasha Lee uh, role, TV and film roles, go ahead. Give me, give me Slums of Beverly Hills. Yes. Nice. Orange is the New Black. Yep. Are they in any order? Or they uh, just... No, they're in no order. Okay. Everyone says I love you? Uh, no. American Pie. American Pie is in there, yes. Addicted to Fresno. Nope. Oh. Blade Trinity. Nope. But I'm a cheerleader in there? Yes, it is. Megan Bloomfield Ooh. is in there. So we're just missing we're missing two. TV or film? Uh, both film. Doris. Both film. Hey, please don't say white girl. No. Oh, I'll yes, white, white girl. Too. Yes. Confessions, <laughs> Confessions of a Trick Baby is in I'm there. I'm telling, man. Yeah, something. Confessions of a Trick Baby is in there. I don't know if I would agree with this, but I haven't seen enough of her stuff to really to really go against it. But we talked about it tonight. We we didn't review it, but we mentioned we mentioned her role in it. I think. Kate and Leopold. No. Hello, my name is Doris. Nope. Girl, most likely. Nope. Intervention. The intervention. It is the intervention. You guys spoke highly of that, so that makes sense. But this is this is a good list to go off of. I like the underappreciated. Uh, take. Mm. Yeah, yeah I that's did. good. It's different. Show dog's gonna make the cut. No, <laughs> I did not. That's ludicrous. <laughs> this yeah. <is> ludicrous. <laughs> oh that was on Ludicrous's top films. <laughs> I would be willing to say that Natasha Leone is probably the best part of Show Dog. <laughs> that or Will Arnett. Those two. Going out on that's a it. That's all I'm saying. So we're going to get into the months and meter rankings. Uh, the, what, what we do here is we rank our actors on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. We look at longevity. How long have they been in the game? How consistent have they been? We take a look at pop culture impact. Are they recognizable as a name? We look at their acting range. Um, are they just character actor? Or have they taken on a different roles? Their awards, imprint, noms, wins. We look at their talents, anything else outside of just acting, writing, producing, directing, singing, whatever those things happen to be. We look at their personal life, right? Are they an absolute saint, Mother Teresa Gandhi type, or real turd of a human? And we also look at their comedy chops. So with all that said, we're going to start with James. I think to tell this story, uh, Tasha Leone fairly rate her career. You have to acknowledge that she started really young and is one of those child actors who went to a dark place in her life. I give her respect on being able to beat that not a lot of people can and being sober now for looks like it's a little over 10 years uh, needs to be commended a lot of the roles that she's in are not mainstream hasn't have a lot of mainstream uh, success Um, but recently it seems like that has started to pick up i absolutely loved russian doll 
you know, 13 Emmy nominations can't be, uh, and especially for something that she wrote and is so personal to her, really needs to be acknowledged. I also think Orange is the New Black was a hit. Like you, Kylie, enjoyed it for the first few seasons. I kind of fell off near the end, but yeah. she was great in that. I think she consistently is a, you know, she plays a tough, no-nonsense, uh, intelligent, like as New York New Yorker as you could possibly be. But she's able to shift it to the tender side and emotional side. I think she's really good at that. And I also think she's very funny. Every interview she's, she, I've seen of her is like, that type of dark humor that I enjoy that I know makes most people uncomfortable, like roasting Woody Allen when she was 16 is so fun. That is so (laughs) clever, you know, getting arrested and then saying you're going to hurt, like molest someone's dog and then being like, it's a joke, but I get how it's not funny. And I'm, you know, kind of sucks. I'm getting arrested. (laughs) Like that is such a level of dark humor that I think is hysterical. But that being said, you know, she doesn't have the name recognition. She hasn't had the, you know, a lot of major roles and a lot of performances that have gotten awards for. Um, so I'm going to end up giving her a 53. Okay. Rigby. Uh, yeah, James, you hit the nail on the head. Her lack of mainstream films kind of hurts her here. And also, you know, I've never docked anybody points for their personal life, but we've, we've, we've been lucky to, to sort of talk about some people that didn't really have a lot of that. Because you know, obviously Hollywood is full of but the ones we've talked about, I don't think we've run into that yet. So I'm going to doctor points there. You know, I'll be honest. If I hadn't seen Russian Doll, she would definitely get my lowest score. But I do think she's incredibly funny. She's very talented. She's just a little too one-dimensional for me. So I'm going to give her a 65. Case, you're up next, babe. Yeah, you guys have hit some of the things that, that stood out to me. This is one of the weird podcasts where the more I watched of someone, the more I started lowering my score. I don't ever really take knock anybody personally. I think a lot of people deal with addiction issues and a lot of people have to deal with that stuff. And just because they're famous and they're in movies, I don't think that makes them exempt. So that stuff never really bothers me. It's the, you know, the one dimensional roles that I think she gets stuck in. And it's unfortunate because those are also her best roles. I'm going to give her a 56. Corey, our guest Munson, what do you got? I'm going to play to her strengths first. I think she is the toughest, most vulnerable actor you've had so far on the pod. I think she she's super, super tough. Given herself to be super resilient. And also is so vulnerable. You can see it in roles very, very early on where she played a vulnerable, growing, like developing young woman to even like Russian doll to me. Um, and certainly Orange is the New Black. I'm a cheerleader, like all of her roles, she plays this just tough, resilient person with a really soft underbelly. And with that, you know, she you have a point. She absolutely plays herself and brings herself to the table. If you were her agent, you would say, you're booking Natasha Leone. That's who you're booking. All the great things and all the not great things that come from that. So she's, um, you can't even call her a character actress because some of her roles... They're campy, so there's character, there's a character approach to that work. But then there are some other roles that are clearly just straight for her. I think those are some of her her honestly better roles. She just is herself, straightforward, um, upfront, wry, very dry humor, just a real sense of observation of the world around her. She totally lacks artifice. I really like that a lot think that's going to be a turnoff for a lot of people. You know, she's never going to get roles like Natalie Portman. 
because Natalie mm-hmm. Portman decided to be something else. She knew she could go a little bit more unique um, if she played it straight for the early part of her career. And I think for whatever reason, Natasha Leone just decided to go a different route. What remains to be seen is if she chose that direction, or if it was chosen for her and she made the best best of that career. I really like her. I'm rooting for her. So that probably is going to adjust my score a little bit. I also think that um, she's unique. Um, I don't know that I could compare her to anybody else. And I appreciate that. That's a great point. I do understand kind of the, the rating here. And so I want to be fair. So I'm going to give her a 66. Thanks, Corey. All right. So I'm going to jump in. Uh, y'all have hit a lot of my pieces. I, from watching her interviews, I, I want to note a few things that I, that I thought were intriguing. Number one, uh, speaking of Andy Richter, we mentioned earlier from uh, Scary Movie 2, in an interview with him and Conan, he had mentioned she's a Scorsese movie and one person. Mm. Like <laughs> like in terms of just the, the overall package of what you get with Natasha Leone, she's just... There's so many dimensions to what she brings, just from a personal standpoint, her personality. Other things I, I noticed from her interviews, uh, she did call herself a character actor in an interview like a year and a half ago. So she recognizes it and gets it, and that's what's gotten her a lot of work over the years. So I think she's got some self-awareness on that front. Um, she mentioned she doesn't do summer pictures any, anymore, filming as an actor in the outdoors during <laughs> summer months. Because she's like, I'll write, I'll do other jobs, but she's like, my hair, like my Jewish hair, is just not going to work well <laughs> with this. So I, I think like, Allison James said something similar. She's like, I just don't like working when it's hot. Like, oh my god! And then she mentioned, she goes, I've done over a hundred pictures in my career, and she's like, uh, statistically speaking, how many are going to be good? Four. She's like, I'm not, I'm not interested in it. So I like, I'm giving her high marks on the comedy side and just her self awareness as an actor and as a human over the years. If she hadn't brought her life back to where she is now, I would have rated her really low on the personal side. But how much she's been able to transform her life since then, I almost give her more credit on that front for being able to take from a child actor that went completely in the dumps to being someone who's, I think, pretty well respected in the industry at this point, has had a long way to get there. Big score for me on the longevity side, 35 years, still doing work. Yeah, some of them are smaller, but she's still getting work. And that's there's something to be said there, but I'm giving her a huge hit on the range side. You just don't see enough diversity in the types of roles that she's in and her award side other than Russian doll. It's almost inept. With all that said, I'm going to give her a 57. Warren, finish this out. I do think the personal side is a huge thing. You know, so many times we hear the, the stories of the collapse and you know inevitable deaths of childhood actors or ones who are never able to rebound and i think you see a huge inverse parabola you know it's a huge curve that's swinging back up so she had all this stuff when she was young you get this collapse in the middle and this slow like climb back up just a new black's kind of that catalyst for it and it's taking her up into russian doll and crazy enough everything i've heard about russian doll i'm gonna basically add it into my score like i've already seen it and i enjoyed it because i really think i will and i don't want to have to adjust my score that said even like when we got to this point last week we're like who's gonna who's it gonna be and i saw natasha leone i googled natasha leone and was like oh okay so that's name recognition for me So the name recognition, I mean, I've watched a ton of movies and granted when I saw her, I was like, oh, the first thing I said was, 
she's female stiff footer from American Pie. And, and so then I was like, oh shit, what else has she been in? Like, this is absolutely going to suck. And then I saw, oh yeah, she was in Orange and the New Black, which unfortunately only kept my attention for like a season and hadn't seen Russian Doll yet. But, you know, I, I think, you know, the longevity, it's there. It's a huge, uh, 35 years is incredible. The thing I really, I think it, she could keep riding this wave. Like I could really see her in like some Paul Feig movies, mm-hmm. you know, using that humor and everything to really be like, you got your slapstick, like Melissa McCarthy or uh, Kristen Wiig. And then you have this more like gruff, almost like an Allison Janney from spy who's able to like throw down with Statham and Jude law and all that stuff, but then also be the feminine side. Yeah. I think she can do that in those roles. I think 42 for me. And that gives her a 56.5, which puts her 12th ahead of Chris O'Dowd and behind Craig Robin. So Chris O'Dowd still sitting with the sad face and his lowest uh, score. Yep. <laughs> Got some projects coming down. Looking at what's upcoming, obviously, with COVID and stuff being pushed back, a movie that is completed production is called Irresistible. And this is written and directed by Jon Stewart. It's a political comedy starring Steve Carell and Rose Byrne. He plays a liberal who is uh, going to run in a conservative Midwest town. And it's got a stacked cast like Chris Cooper, Will Sasso, Sophie Grace, Natasha Leone, stuff like that. So it should be should be pretty fun. She's also in pre-production for the United States versus Billy Holiday. Very interesting cast, but Natasha Leone, Garrett Hedlund, Andrew Day is playing Billy Holiday. So it'll be interesting to see Lee Daniels goes with that one. Pretty much what she's got coming up. We've got five actors we're going to throw on the wheels. Our next episode, those five actors are Ellen Page, Henry Winkler, Chris Tucker, Sarah Paulson, and Hope Davis. Corey included, what are our thoughts on those five actors? Who do you love? Who do you hate? Who are you kind of indifferent on? How much happy days am I going to have to... I'm going to say please don't do Ellen Page just so it happens. (laughs) (laughs) A little reverse psychology. Does reverse psychology work on the wheel? No, I think it's going to be Chris Tucker. Someone gets to watch uh, Fifth Element and hopefully has the same like viewpoint of it as me. Chris Tucker's made like six movies total, so I'm pumped. Well, Hope Davis, how many films has she done? I can only think of one, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. So good luck on, on her. Warren dug up Sarah Paulson's categories already, so that would be an easy one for him to just tell us what we're doing. Yeah, Sarah Paulson is... Uh, I'm going to watch all 13 seasons of Happy Days. Oh, jeez. Uh, someone gets to watch The Goldfinch. Oh, oh good Lord. And, nah, no, we don't. Ocean's, <laughs> Ocean's 8. That'd be fun. Someone probably gets to watch 12 Years a Slave, too, right? Uh, someone, will, someone will watch Mud or Carol. I like, I like Mud. Mud. Yeah, I like Mud, too. Of the group, Henry Winkler is the one I would want to cover the most. I think he, he provides the most wide breadth of of coverage why it's every adam sandler movie and well well and i can rewatch a little barry too yeah, yeah he's, oh he is the funniest in arrested development barry barry zuckerhorn he's also funny in uh what is it? um he plays john ralphio's dad in yes. <laughs> yeah parks and rec parks and rec that's right yeah so funny sounds like we'll have some fun whoever it happens to be 
Hopefully. Maybe not Hope Davis, but we'll figure it out. Hey, we'll learn lots about her background if it ends up being her. We've reached the uh, the apex of this episode. Corey, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thanks. It's been super fun, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks you, for thank coming you, Corey. on, Corey. Yeah, yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, yeah, I, hope you, I hope you enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. I noticed next week you've got a great guest who I like a lot. Gerky's the man. I'll let Kyle tell you who it is. Yeah. Um, Corey, do you have any plugs you want to drop for our audience? Oh any, any projects, any mixtapes, anything you're doing over there? <laughs> um, my SoundCloud? No, it's down for the summer. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm not really working on anything. I think I'm just trying to survive. Probably the most interesting time in marketing and PR that I've seen in my career. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Not not much is going on, man. It's, it's just work, the daily grind. We appreciate you spending a little bit of time out of the daily grind to be with us because it was a good time. Yeah. yeah, We'll bring you back for something. We'll, we'll find okay. one along. Thanks. <laughs> Our next podcast is going to land on July 16th. Our featured guest is going to be a gentleman by the name of Mark Garkey. Corey mentioned him, but uh, Mark, uh, the best way to describe Mark, Mark's just a big old movie nerd. Whenever he and I go to conferences together, all we talk about is the movies we've seen over the past six months. Super well-versed. He works in higher education, but Mark is just a good, he loves Chop It Up, good dude, and knows a lot about movies. So that's, that's a recipe for guest success, if you ask me. But we'll go ahead and get this thing wrapped up. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram at Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Uh, any final thoughts from the Munson's? According to this aptitude test, I should be a professional athlete, um, a park ranger, or a correctional officer. You just told an inmate in prison that she should become a correctional officer. What the fuck is wrong with you? Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?